Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. Today, sponsored by the University of Kansas Health System. It's Tuesday, May 3rd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals today. On Monday, they got outstanding pitching from starter Zach Grinke and a defensive gem from center fielder Michael A. Taylor and another loss. This time, one to nothing to the Cardinals. It was the Royals' fourth straight defeat. It's the third time this season they've dropped at least four straight. They're now seven games under 500. So we talked about it today on a show that started as a Sports Beat Live. Vahe Gregorian led the conversation with beat writer Lynn Worthy and reporter Pete Gradhoff. Let's get started. Good morning from Kansas City and welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly chat about the Royals with the writers that know them best and with you. This is Vahe Gregorian filling in for Blair Kirkhoff today. He'll be back later this week, but uh, I'm kind of thinking, guys, about the way this show's going to go, and I'm going to do an honorary Blair Kirkhoff sigh, <sighs> both in terms of the topic and, of course, not having Blair here. Um, but please send us your questions and comments and, and perhaps share in the misery over a team that's lost four straight after Monday's one lo- one nothing loss in St. Louis and now owns a 7-14 and record. And before we get started, uh, here's a shout out to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. We'll hear from them later in the show. So let's turn to our beat writer, Lynn Worthy, and making his Sports Beat Live season debut today, Pete Gradoff. Welcome, fellas. Good morning. Morning. Lynn, are you you back from St. Louis? Yeah, the pace of yesterday's game, um, I decided to just uh, go ahead and make the trek back last night instead of waiting until this morning. Well, I'm glad you're home, and and uh, I, I, here we are turning to a couple more games with the Cardinals, and the Royals have not, not fared well against them so far, and they're 7-14 and 14 overall. I sort of thought the last couple games, but yesterday – in itself epitomized a little bit about this season. Uh, the Royals can do a lot of things fairly well, but one thing they're not doing at all, sometimes literally, is scoring runs. Um, Lynn, I wonder if you can just take us through what that felt like yesterday and, and, and you know, another really nice start by Zach Greinke, who's just not getting much support. Yeah, I mean, and yesterday, um, I mean, I think it stood out more the fact that it was the second shutout in three games. Um, yesterday, obviously, they just couldn't get much of anything going. I think it was six guys reached base the entire game. Um, at least that's my record. Or maybe that was against uh, Matt's. Um, either way, that was, um, you know, but I don't think any any one inning had more than one guy on base. They had five hits, one hit by one hit by pitch. So that's, that's the entirety of the offense. So, I mean, we've talked a lot earlier in the season about coming up with hits with runners in scoring position, but – you got to put somebody in scoring position. You got to get guys on base. You got to create scoring opportunities. Um, and in some of the other losses, I think the the frustrating part probably was that they were creating the opportunities and just not doing anything with them. Yesterday was one of those days where you just didn't create opportunities at all. Well, we were uh, confirming this figure beforehand, and Lynn, you might have known it off the top of your head, but of course, the Royals now are dead last in Major League Baseball in runs scored with 63 and 21 games. And I, I think as we teased to doing the show, we suggested uh, we would ask the question about what the Royals need to do to get it going. Uh, seems like, Pete, uh, runs scored would be a good category to uh, 
to improve on. How do you think, what do you think, I should say, we can anticipate in terms of their, their hopes of getting that going? What, what, what's really missing? I think they might be, they're pressing a little bit right now. They talked about it a little bit on the broadcast yesterday in particular. Salvi seems like he's trying to hit a five-run homer every time he comes to the plate, and I feel like that goes up and down the lineup. With the exception of maybe Ben and Tenney, he just seems to be making that run for 400. So, you know, when you're not scoring runs, it all it all adds up, and it, it, you play every day, so you don't get a week to try and tweak what you're going to do different, and – I feel like they're definitely pressing a lot more as the games go on. Yeah, all the way up and down that lineup, uh, you see numbers that we're not used to seeing. Um, and I, I'm thinking suddenly about Salvador Perez, who maybe is uh, thinking too much about home runs. I don't know if you feel like that, Lynn, and watching him, but it, it seems like there's an inclination to try to pull um, that – I. I he's always had a little bit of that, but I think he's also, you know, escaped some of the things that he was doing last year that, that made him so it seemed so at ease and have that monstrous season. Well, I think part of it is um, what Pete was talking about. I think part of it is him feeling like he, he needs to be the one to come through, especially with the offense struggling. Um, and maybe that's, you know, just adding to, you know, whether that's pressing. Um, now he's always also been, he's, He's also always been an aggressive hitter. Um, but I think that's been part of what made him so successful last year, too. Like, um, you know, he's been aggressive in the net, sometimes swinging that pitches outside the strike zone. I think the difference last year was uh, he was going out and getting those pitches and he wasn't missing them. And I feel like this year he's missing them more. I mean, because we saw last year where he might go outside the zone and go after something, but he hits it over the fence and nobody, you know, it's nobody's, uh, you know, batting an eye about that. Everybody's celebrating. If he, if he goes out, like, you know, he, you know, he goes down and gets a slider that's below the zone and hits it into the fountains. Everybody's cheering. You, you miss that pitch and it's strike three, or you miss that pitch and you put yourself in a bad count and then you end up striking out. Then it's a whole different thing. So I think part of it is um, missing the pitches that maybe he wasn't pitching, he wasn't missing last year. And part of it is just the offense going so slow, go slow, uh, so badly that he's just right now feeling like he has to do more. He has to take that on his shoulders. And I think that combination right now has him just, you know, scuffling. Well, lest anyone uh, accuse us of focusing on negatives, let's uh, turn for a second to Michael A. Taylor's catch yesterday. Um, I'm sure it, it was jaw-dropping to see in the moment in person in St. Louis, Lynn. But, but Pete, uh, did you get a chance to look at some of that video? And what did, what did each of you guys think of that? We'll, we'll, actually, let me interrupt my own train of thought here. Why don't we um, turn to that right now, uh, producer Monty Davis, if, uh, if, if I have given you enough time. And we'll take a look at that before we, uh, before we talk about it. Pitches out over the plate and hit the deep center field. Taylor is at the track. He's at the wall, and he caught it. Michael A. Taylor got his foot on the wall and catapulted himself up and may have taken a home run away from Kisner. He did. Michael A. Taylor robs Kisner to end the bottom of the fifth. Tremendous catch. Maybe one of the best catches we'll see all season long. Watch this fan. He wants it, but he recognizes a play might be made, and... Look at that. That was very proper, wasn't it? 
<laughs> and Zach says, ho-hum, just another great defensive play behind me this year. Well, first of all, hats off also to the St. Louis fan who stayed away. Um, that might have that might have really messed up a, a, an incredible moment. Um, I when I think of the Royals' defense this year, that that play that play I suppose is one I'll remember along with two others so far. The one where, as Whit Merrifield put it, Nicky Lopez dove up to catch that line drive, and that play I still can't. I can't fathom or explain that that Bobby Bobby Witt Jr. made throwing home uh, in that first series. But how how uh, how will you guys rank this catch and even among catches maybe you've ever seen? Pete, let's go to you. Then I'll come back to Lynn. Sorry, I didn't want you guys to fight over it. I didn't want to. Yeah, and we didn't want to fight over it either. I you know I think that's going to end up being the play of the year. Um, you know, especially if they would have come back and scored two runs yesterday, which they couldn't manage. Um, the thing about when I watch Michael A. Taylor is just how effortless he makes it look. I mean, that's it. Like he made that look way easier than it was, I I feel like. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I I just was blown away by that catch. And we can thank the best fans in baseball for not uh, sticking their hands out. (laughs) I do air quotes around that, right? Um, for not trying to make that catch and ruining the play, uh, it was it was just blown away. It, it was an incredible play. Lynn, did you? Am I right that uh, there was something more than a golf clap out of the even the St. Louis fans for that yesterday? Mm-hmm. And and what was it like in the press box? We see plays once in a while that make make uh, even ripples in the press box. Was it was it one of those moments? Yeah, yeah. I think my. Um my immediate reaction was just to say out loud, he caught that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's um, that was because I'm watching the whole play unfold. You know, sometimes you're, you're heads down and you're looking up, but I was watching that whole play and I'm just, I watched it and I watched him do it. And I was like, he caught that <laughs> because I, there was no uh, off the bat. I was like, nah, he's, ma- he's going to make an attempt and make it look good. And, you know, but I didn't think he was actually going to come away with the ball. Um and to me, it was, uh, I mean, I think at the time, because I know at the time I tweeted that that's the, you know, your, uh, that ought to be your play of the day candidate for the highlights and everything. And people started going immediately play of the year. And I was like, I mean, I think later on, I was like, okay, it's probably a play of the year candidate. But I guess I, I tend to, um, you know, everybody wants to say that whatever they just saw was the greatest play in the history of ever. So I tend to go the opposite on that. But upon reflection, I, I mean, I, I think we may be hard pressed to see another play better than that this season, but there's still a lot of season left. Um, and my other immediate reaction was it just reminded me of um, Ken Griffey, like just the, you know, putting the foot in the wall and going up and, and, and grabbing a ball that's, you know, already, you know, in the stands basically. Um, and it was just, it was interesting to hear him talk about it afterwards, uh, Taylor, um, that it was, um, you know, he, he didn't really, he said he didn't plan on putting his foot in the wall. It was just basically trying to measure things out. And he had, and I forgot about it until he mentioned it, that he had a play last year in Baltimore where he sort of lost track of where the wall was and never got the jump to try and steal the home run because he ran into the wall 
and the ball just, you know, went into the stands. So um, it was, you know, one of those plays that's really, it happens really fast, but there was still a lot going on for Taylor in that moment. And so that's what I thought was really interesting about it was, you know, um, trying to get a, a measure on the wall, trying to get, you know, find the ball make sure you know where the wall is and then sort of instinctually um, just sort of climbing up the wall. And um, the fact that he's, I'm trying to remember if they list him at six, three, six, four, whatever they list him at, he, those long arms helped him be able to get that ball and then hold on to it too. I, it, was, it, it was pretty – oh, go ahead, Pete. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, just, fine. You talked about the best catches we've ever seen. Uh, I still would put Dyson's catch in Miami, I think it was 2016, where he just dead sprinted to the outfield wall and jumped over and made it. That's probably the best catch I've seen. But this, this reminded me a little bit of Carlos Beltran when he was with the Royals. Uh, I think he made a home run saving catch at Coffin Stadium that was just out of this world. Uh, and it, Last thought on that is you rarely see emotion out of Michael A. Taylor. It actually looked like he flashed a little smile there, which told you that even he thought it was a pretty good catch. Yeah. Well, you guys make a lot of great points. Uh, One that Lynn that'll stick with me. We do tend to get a little recency bias. And if we sat back, we could probably chart chart out some catches that uh, don't come to mind right away. But the other thing, Lynn, the point you made, it's also true. These plays would, would stand out a lot more if the Royals, won these games um it'd be just because you do think this defense is you know a pretty plus defense um yeah but- and I, I i and i think it was it was the next half inning um i'm blanking on the name but the left fielder for the cardinals made like a diving catch like you know the in front of him a sliding catch and you you know you see a lot of the fans cheering and i immediately just turned to people in the press box i said no 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 I don't want to hear nothing about those diving catches after what we just saw. Like, no, no, no. Your, your run-of-the-mill diving catch doesn't doesn't rate after that. <laughs> I think it was the very next uh, defensive play. Um, it's well, what you know. One other development in St. Louis, or theoretically in St. Louis, uh, is uh, our introduction to MJ Melendez in the major league level. And I believe we we have some video, uh, Lynn, that you recorded. I think in the clubhouse in St. Louis that we'll, uh, we'll take a look at now, and then we'll talk about him on the other side. It's a, it's a very surreal moment. You know, first off, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without him, I wouldn't be here right now. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a crazy moment. Yesterday was really crazy, but I'm just so thankful and grateful to be here. Uh, right in the middle of our game yesterday, you know, I was DHing and uh, got back inside the dugout from being on second base and uh, was told by my manager, Scott Thorman, and, uh, you know, just a couple of tears came to my eyes. It just really didn't feel real at the time, uh, but I was super happy and excited. Of course, first calling my family, I think that was just the most important thing for me and letting them know and um, being able to share that moment with them over the phone and, um, you know, trying to get my stuff packed up and uh, head here as quick as possible. What, what was that like over the phone? It was just a very emotional moment. I think, you know, from the moment uh, I was told by my manager and talking to my family, I just kind of saw uh, a glimpse of, like, everything leading up to this moment, just really um, taking everything in and uh, realizing all the stuff, all the hard work that I put in has finally uh, got me here to this moment and uh, just really grateful for that. I feel great. I think, uh, you know, the numbers don't really tell a full story and, you know, going out there every day and just trying to compete, just trying to grind um, through everything, whether it's just hitting ball right at people, you know, weather, windy, um, you know, just everything, just going out there and try to compete, be there for my team. Uh, you know, that's really all I can control, and I'm excited to just go out and compete again at the higher level. I mean, I think, honestly, even since 
getting drafted in 2017, you know, it, it feels everything kind of happens so fast when you go back and think about it, you know, time really flies and, uh, you know, from 2019 and now it was, you know, if I look back and think of where I was uh, at that point in time and to be here right now, I'm just so grateful for all the moments, all the ups and downs. Uh, I think every single up and down played a huge role in where I'm at today, uh, mentally and physically and, and in my game. What was the first part of um, this year like for you? Because I know they had you moving around a little bit. I mean, we saw you in the outfield for the first time. Um, I think that was the first game, right? We had the outfield assist. It was, it was, it was just really exciting. Um, something that was new to me, something that was different. But uh, I love being able to take on new rules, whatever I can do to really help the team and uh, show show what I can do to help. You know, and let my abilities play out. And I feel like that was just a really fun thing for me, and it was uh, I enjoyed it. I embraced it. So at this point, beyond catcher, where, where do you feel comfortable playing? Wherever the team needs me, honestly. I, I just love being out on that field, man. It's something that, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, you just dream of being here, dream of being on a baseball field, playing, getting to do this for a living. So uh, wherever I'm at, I know that I can go out there and feel comfortable and just let my abilities take over. Have you been following uh, the start of Bobby's career now? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been exciting to be able to see somebody who, you know, I, I played with last year and, and one of my good friends, uh, go out and live out his dream. It, it's been amazing. So I'm super excited to come here and, and play alongside him now. Do you have any tips to manage the first few days? Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been talking quite a bit, and I'm sure there will be uh, more tips to come. That's MJ Melendez, courtesy of uh, Linworthy Video <laughs> Services. Um, I wonder um, how, how you think this will play out for MJ right now. Obviously, we know... We know he's got just infinite uh, future ahead of him. At least we perceive that to be the case. And we also know that last season he he set himself apart, but he's sputtered a little bit at the plate uh, early this season. Uh, Lynn, how do you how do you see what's happened early this season working out in terms of his ability to stay up here now? Well, the the thing that a lot of us were talking about just in the press box yesterday was you know. Um, the last couple of years with some of their top guys, there's been sort of a big to do about them making their debut in the majors and, 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 and picking their spots to bring them up and, and all that sort of stuff. This one is different because it was because of Cam's injury that he's in the big leagues. If, if Cam's not hurt, then you probably don't see MJ right now in the, in the, in the major leagues. Um, and also the fact that, um, Typically, you know, like Dayton always mentions, one of the things that uh, that you you look for is is opportunity. That's one of the things that they always try to map out for if a guy's going to come up, one of their top guys, they want opportunity for them to be in there on a regular basis. But again, coming from an injury, um, it's, it at least appears, you know, from uh, outside looking in, that there's going to be you know limited opportunity just because it's the backup catcher spot is what he's filling, you know. Um, and as it was mentioned in the video there, he's he's bounced around a little bit. They've had him play some outfield. Last year, they had him play some third base. Um, but, you know, at, right now, there's a guy named Bobby Witt Jr. who's playing third base, and he's pretty much locked in there. And then in the outfield, you've got two gold glovers and um, Andrew Benatendi and Michael A. Taylor, who we just talked about. Uh, and then that right field spot, you know, they've been trying to get playing time for multiple guys. That's Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, Hunter Dozier, if he's not DHing or playing first. And then also, you, you know, when there is a DH, um, I mean, when the DH spot is Salvador Perez, then maybe MJ gets, you know, behind the plate. But so it's not necessarily a cut and dried, okay, he's up here, he's going to play 
five, six days a week. That's not, um, at least it doesn't look like that's uh, a feasible thing for them to do right now. Pete, what, what's your perception of the situation? Well, more than anything, I'm just looking forward to seeing him. I, you know, I'm curious if they use him, as Lynn mentioned in that uh, Q&A with him, he, they played him in the outfield. I mean, do you think maybe we could see him play a little bit uh, late inning? I mean, you never know when an injury is going to come, but maybe it could be in the outfield. And this won't be a Kendris Morales out there in right field type of thing. He's got some incredible athleticism, and, and, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see too. He could pinch run, right? I mean, he's got great speed for a catcher. He's not your prototypical lumbering 35 home run catcher, 35 home run hitting catcher. So I'm just curious to watch him and, and see if they plug him in during the game somewhere. The other thing that you, you know, um, and I think the situation with Cam also points out is you also somewhat need to be careful when you've got two catchers on your roster. If you're, like you said, p- plug him in somewhere, um, you run the risk of putting yourself in a bind if, you know, something happens to, you know, Salvi or um, something happens to him. Um then you're talking about, okay, you're down to, I think, um, Carlos Santana, who hasn't caught in years, would be your emergency catcher. Um, so that's the one thing. I mean, because the other day, you know, Cam comes out in the fifth inning and they lose the DH spot because Salvi goes there. And so you're pitch hitting, you know, once every time through the lineup, which, I mean, you had bench guys to be able to do that. But um, you could find yourself, you know, you, you use that guy early or use that guy in the game in a different spot and then something happens and you get yourself in a little bit of trouble. So um, that said, I I could see him used as a bat off a bench if you're trying to get something going in the late innings. Um, you're trying to play a matchup because he's a left-handed hitting uh, power guy. Um, but you also have other guys in your roster that you, you know, that you might want to use in some of those spots, whether that's, you know, um, Whoever's not in the lineup between, you know, O'Hearn, Dozier, um, Olivares, um, you know, those types of guys or, you know, Isbell. Uh, so that's why it's like I say, everybody who you know, it, obviously it's great to see one of their top prospects come up. People want to get get a, eyes on them. Um, had 41 home runs last year in the minor leagues. People have heard a lot about him. But at the same time, it's not one of those design things where they carved out a spot for him to be in the lineup every day. Well, you're forgetting to mention that uh, Mike Matheny looked like he was game ready too. Uh, if they <laughs> if they need to fill somebody in, uh, hey, we'll, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. March fourth, two thousand fifteen, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. 
your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. I've been thinking about this a little bit, and, and I know we don't want to talk about it all the time, but 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 I do think it bears mention, um, and I'm trying to suppress my inner smart aleck on this, but you know, if, if the Royals keep losing games and nobody can see it on TV, is it really happening? Um, <laughs> and twist it another way, uh, Pete, I know we've kicked this around a little bit, and you've done done some analysis of this over time. What, what do you suppose uh, the, the latest twist on this is? And, and I guess we have to go back to last Thursday. I think there was a, a another one of those weird 430 cutoffs on the game um, that, that I think you were pretty conscious of. Yeah, they they Bally's had a few problems for sure. Um, they blame that one on a master control error, which was the same excuse they used the year before. And it is a problem. And when you when I write a story like that, I end up hearing from a handful of people who are like, well, when we can't even see the game, right? Because we cut the cord and we don't have our options. Hulu TV, Hulu Live, Dish TV, YouTube TV, they all dropped Bally Sports within the last few years. So fans have one option and uh it's $90 just to stream. I mean, you can watch other TV with it, but if you want to watch the Royals, it, I mean, it's 90 bucks isn't really what you want to spend. Now, Bally is going to have an app where you don't have to be a cable subscriber that's supposed to come out mid-season, and that's going to be somewhere in the $18 to $22 range. Of course, this is all speculation. And uh, that would be the best thing, I think, for Royals fans – if they want to watch the game, because I mean, the other thing in this is MLB TV will obviously black out in Kansas city, but you know, fans in Northern Arkansas all the way up to central Iowa can't watch the games. People in Iowa can't watch the twins, the Royals, the white Sox, the Cubs, the Brewers and the Cardinals. I mean, it's ridiculous. I feel like major league baseball is the only sports like making it as difficult as possible for fans to watch the game. And that's a terrible business model. Well, it really is. And, and you know, I, I was thinking about this a little bit the other day. We're, we're so used to uh, – we all understand there's all these streaming options and all these different ways to get your content. Um, but the problem with this really is it has the impact of something taken away, right? A lot of those other things are like, oh, well, I can get to this through that. That's great. I didn't get that before. But this is – I mean, shoot, since I was a kid in the 70s, you were able to watch – Basically every home game, uh, if you were in the Philadelphia area, or every game you could watch on uh, on the newfangled cable TV system. Um, so it's really it's really uh, frustrating, Lynn. I, I suppose you know you're at these games, so it's not a factor for you so much. But I do wonder how much you hear from readers or or other people about it, and how cognizant you are of of, of that being the, the case that so many people can't see it. Uh, on social media and sometimes on. Um you know, through emails and things like that, you'll hear from people. Um, sometimes it's just people confused about where to watch the game, not that they can't watch the game. So like every now and then I'll be 
trying to direct people to, um, you know, what channel it is that they can find Bally's. I think some of them may just be a little confused because of um, when it switched from Fox Sports to Bally's. I think some people didn't realize that that wasn't them moving to an entirely new spot. It was just the name change. But then there's also the people who, you know, are really upset about not being able to follow the games on a daily basis, not be able to watch the Worlds whenever they want. Um, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's some people who maybe find the workarounds, you know, with like, you know, MLB TV, where if you're, you know, IP address, uh, you know, I don't think I'm telling people things they don't know. But if you got the VPN thing that says that you're you're watching from somewhere else, then you can sort of work around and be able to watch uh, Kansas City from Kansas City. It just it looks like you're watching from Texas. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, um I think I probably, I mean, and during the games, obviously we're, we have the the feed on the screens in the press box and we're watching the game in front of us. Um, the last couple of years, it's jumped out a little bit more to me personally when we weren't traveling as much. And so I'm covering remotely and there was one or two times that I'm like, mm, I did not tune in for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so, and then those eventually got switched over. Um, but I also, I have cable, so like I can still go to the app or log in online and have some way to try and work around some of those things. But also I'm, I, I completely understand people who feel like, why should they have to work around those things? Shouldn't they just be able to turn on and get it and be able to watch the game to the end? Um, and so there's, I think there is a decent, I mean, it's always hard to judge from social media, but I think there is a decent amount of frustration there. Um, from people who just want to watch, you know, baseball. Pete, I, I think you wanted to add a little something. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I said Bally was having trouble. This isn't a necessarily a totally Bally sports issue. I mean, I, we don't know. We're not part of the negotiations with YouTube and Hulu and all that. So we don't know what kind of money, fi- you know, figures are getting thrown around. Honestly, to me, this is on Major League Baseball. I mean, MLB has talked about making an app also where fans can watch locally streaming wise. And that's the most, to me, that's the simple way out of this make MLB TV available and uh, to everybody in Kansas city or anywhere that they want to watch the Royals and cut some of their money off to off of that to Bally and to the Royals. I mean, just split the pie so people can watch the game. People will come Ray if they can watch the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the opportunities that have come for a few players because of injuries. We're thinking about Oliveras and Isbell, and we've talked a little bit about MJ Melendez. But, but one of the things we haven't spoken about is one of the reasons why and some of the ripple effects of the latest injury to Adalberto Mondesi and uh, this one feels particularly crushing, I suppose, because it's by all indications season ending. And when you stack it on top of, of his history, it really makes you wonder what, what, what his future in Kansas city is, let alone just his future overall. Um, I wonder Lynn, what your, what your sense of it was when Dayton Moore told told reporters in Chicago last week that it was indeed a ACL and what, 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 what your thoughts have been about it since? Well, I mean, I think the first thing was, is just, you know, it, it's, 
he had played well this season. I mean, offensively, he'd been sort of up and down. But, I mean, defensively, like, he, he'd been the anchor of that defense that we've talked so much about, about how they had, you know, three potential shortstops. And he was the guy who was the shortstop amongst that group and anchoring that defense, the infield defense. Um and I thought that your your column, Vahe, you know, because I saw a lot of it on social media to the point where I just sort of started shying away from people who were ready to jump to, oh, well, see, we told you, and oh, that's what a shock. And, and people who were in the people, and even some of those were just, you know, the normal wise guy stuff. But then the ones that were like, well, this is what the lineup should have been anyway. And it's like, well, what do you mean that's what the lineup should have been anyway? Or, you know, the people who were like, well, why is he playing every day? Was like, well, I made sure I mentioned this in a couple of stories, but, you know, obviously people don't always read all the stories, but uh, people say, well, why do you play every day? Well, because they play, I think at the time he got hurt, he played 14 or 15 games. They'd have like five off days in there because of three scheduled off days and two rainouts in, you know, over 15 games, which is not at the pace that you usually would play. You'd be playing a lot more than that. Um, and, and, you know, we wrote about this and we talked to, you know, um, uh, JJ Piccolo in spring training about their plan because there was the whole idea of, okay, they might, you know, um, ramp down or try and schedule out his, his schedule and um, his playing time. That is. Um, and they decided against that because they felt like he was too valuable to just artificially say, he's not going to, he's only going to play four days a week. Um, but they would look for days to have off for him. And the reason that they didn't have days off for him is because the schedule was so spread out. I mean, if they, if they had played, um, you know, every day for two weeks or whatever, then he would have probably had off days. So, um, and I mean, I, I know the Royals were, the Royals obviously were ready for that. That was one of the things that I asked JJ before they ever did it. I was like, do you feel like you're going to leave yourself open to, if he gets hurt again, that uh, this is way, before, this is back in spring training that, you know, be open leave yourself open to the second guessing. And he's like, well, the evidence that they had from the medical staff and everything was that it's not a chronic thing. There's not any sort of predictive nature. There's nothing that tells them that, okay, by doing this scheduled thing that you're going to keep him healthy. Like they, they just didn't have the evidence for that. So um, those are the first things that came into my mind. And then also just the idea of, you know, I mean, this is a guy who wants to play, who want, who like his teammates care about him, who sort of like a, Byron Buxton, where if he plays every day, he can be a really big catalyst in a lot of different ways for that team. And he just can't stay healthy. It's not that he's not trying to stay healthy. It's not that he's not working. Uh, I think Mike Matheny talked to us in the dugout was just talking about how everything this guy does is to try and be healthy enough to play a full season and an ACL just, you know, trying to break for a stolen base, just, pops an ACL. Yeah. It honestly, it, it, it really just made me sad right away. It just made me sad. And, and you really spoke to the reasons why Lynn, this is a conscientious guy and by all indications, just, you know, a, a pretty sweet soul. Nobody wants it more than he does. Um, and I think it, it just hit a nerve with me to think that people feel like they need to attach blame to something that's just, you know, as unfortunate a circumstance as I can remember seeing with over time with a, a guy of this talent, Pete, how did it, how did it hit you? And what do you think this means for his future? Well, I, I felt like both of you and I, I want to also give a bump to Vahe's column. If you haven't read it, you absolutely should. Um, 
it's unfortunate. And like Lynn said, my social media feed was, you know, essentially the same thing. People essentially laughing about it. You know, we, we expect this to happen. Uh, it's terrible. You know, you can't, can't do anything with injuries. And, and can you blame the Royals for putting a guy in who can look that dynamic uh, in stretches? I mean, he, he's one of the most incredible players I've ever seen when he's on, you know. As for his future, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't feel like there's probably a great desire for other teams to acquire him given his, his unfortunate injury history. So maybe gets a chance to turn it around here uh, in, a, in a few years. You know, Kyle Zimmer was kind of in the same boat, right? Everybody just kind of wrote him off. Guy can't stay healthy and all that. And he at least produced a few good seasons. Um, and, and maybe maybe down the line that's going to happen with Mondesi. You know, he's not 35. He's still pretty young. He's a lot younger than uh, you are, Rahe. <laughs> yeah, another seven, eight years, he'll be half my age, something like that. <laughs> um, Lynn, I, you know, when you use the term second guessing, it made me chuckle inside and think to myself, you know, it's always got to be about the first guessing. And the Royals, I think, were operating with pretty good information. One of the things you said reminds me of, uh, Pete, when you were mentioning this about, about you know, not, not playing him so much, perhaps. Uh, a former employer that shall go nameless used to tell us that the best way to keep the copy machine working uh, was to not use it. And <laughs> I, I, I reflect on that, and I think you probably need a better copy machine. And in Mondesi's case, I don't think you have uh, a skill set that's replicable in many players. And that's why it, that's I, I do think it's also possible that the very things about his body that make him extraordinary are part of his Achilles heel figuratively and and I hope never that's a literal part um all right so you got a longer show because I'm a blatherer where Blair is economically efficient um but it was great to get to spend time with Pete Gradoff and Lynn Worthy please uh follow us at kansascity.com and in the pages of the Kansas City Star and thanks again to the University of Kansas Health System for uh lending its name to us and to Monty Davis for producing this. Uh, we hope you all have a great week and we'll look forward to having the right host back uh, in the days to come. And uh, thanks again for all for following along. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our sports beat staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Also tip of the cap to Vahe Gregorian, Lynn Worthy, and Pete Gradhoff for making things go today. We'll be back on Wednesday with another Sportsbeat KC.